timeline. Okay, pull that out if you have it. This was handed out the very first week, so if you missed the first week, you don't have it. So cheat off your partner. Um, cheat off a friend if you can. Look over a shoulder, whatever. Um, because we are... We have gone from the cross all the way through to tonight. We're looking at the cloud in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, that's where we are at. We have moved through uh, the, seven, the seven seals. We've moved through the seven trumpets, through the seven bowls of wrath, uh, which then we talked about the tribulation, the rapture of the church. We've talked about uh, the rising to power of the Antichrist, uh, Armageddon, the millennium, the great white throne judgment, uh, the casting of Satan and his demons and all unbelievers into Gehenna for all eternity. And now we are ready for the new heaven and the new earth, Revelation chapter 21. Uh, when we have hope, when we talk about the hope of the believer, this is what the hope is, Revelations chapter 21 and 22. This is what we hope for. This is what we long for. This is what we await uh, to have happen. And so uh, <clears throat> turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. There's, we're really just going to kind of walk through this verse by verse, picking out some of the highlights, uh, maybe expanding on them a little bit uh, like we have in the past. And uh, it's kind of chapter 22 is kind of jumbled a little bit, so we'll kind of jump around in there too. But uh, chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, we're talking here about this holy city. Uh, John still seeing this vision as the angel is explaining to him. He says, then I saw a new heaven. Now the then is right after the great white throne judgment. Uh, right after chapter, the end of chapter 20 when the dead are judged and uh, are, are cast into uh, hell, into Gehenna for all eternity. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful, dressed for her husband. Now here we see in just these two verses, we have this new heaven and this new earth. Really, this is about, this is the only time he talks about the new heaven and the new earth. He will go on to explain the city and kind of unpack the city and what the the inhabitants of the city look like, uh, but really this is, this is the only glimpse we have uh, and, and when he calls it the new heaven and the new earth. In Second Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter writes, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements, earth, wind, fire, those are the, the elements, will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Okay? So Peter kind of gives us a little insight too that there's going to come this time this day of the lord this when, when what john is looking at right now and he doesn't describe peter describes for us the end of the the old heaven and the old earth but he says there's a new heaven and a new earth so when we think of 
heaven, a lot of times it is the heavens, the sky, the stars, the moon, the sun, the things in the heavens, the cloud. That's what we're talking about here with the new heaven and a new earth. Um, you know, you go back to Genesis chapter 1, I was going to quote it, and I just had that major brain goof. Can't say what I was going to say. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why could I not remember that? <laughs> it's not that difficult, really. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I was focusing on that word heavens, and I, I knew I had to get it right, but then I couldn't get it in the right order. You feel safe learning under me, don't you? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so that heavens is the sky. And so when we talk about a new heaven and a new earth, we're talking about a new sky and a new earth. That everything else that we know right now as earth and heavens is going to be destroyed. God's just going to wipe it all out, get rid of it, burn it, melt it with the fire, and new heaven, new earth. We're going to start over, if you will. And that's not a bad thing, really. I mean, think about it. Everything brand new. And so a new heaven, a new earth. Isaiah says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. We won't even remember what this was like, because that will be so much better. And that's kind of hard for us to understand. So it's hard for us to picture, but this, that's going to be so much better that this won't even be a memory. We won't even remember what this was like, living on this earth, seeing this heavens. And, you know, the, the heavens really kind of amaze me. I, I love to uh, look at the stars. I love to get out of the city. Uh, when we go to Colorado, uh, I don't know if it's being at 9,000 feet and you're that much closer. Okay, you're really not that much closer. <clears throat> but when we go to Colorado and we walk down by the lake, there are a bazillion stars. Actually, there's what they count in the Truth Project. They give you a number. It's like 70 sextillion or something. It's a, a whole bunch uh, of stars. And, and to just sit there and watch and be amazed. God created all of that. And he knows every star. He, he put each one in place. And, and the heavens are, declare his glory. I mean, you can't look at that and not understand the glory of God. That's going to be wiped away and something better is going to be in its place. I can't imagine what will be better than sitting by a lake in Colorado staring at the stars. But the new heaven and the new earth will be. Uh, there's going to be a, a complete renovation of the old order of things. Everything that we've known up till now, redone. Even the way of thinking, redone. Okay? Everything is brand new. And, and that really makes it diff difficult then for, for our minds to, to comprehend what this is going to look like. What's better than a bazillion stars? What, what's better than the, than the change of seasons? I know what would be better. Spring, summer, spring, summer, spring, summer, spring. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Bill wants fall, winter, fall, winter, fall, winter. <laughs> but everything is, is going to be new, yet, yet we try to, to explain it in earthly terms. We try to understand heaven in earthly terms, and we can't do that. 
because that's going to be gone, not even a memory, and everything is new. Okay? So, as best as John then, he tries to describe what he's seeing in earthly terms that are going to be forgotten and done away with. So, even the picture we're getting here is not clear. It's not really a good picture of what it's really going to be like. Now, I think John saw it, but he had a hard time describing it in terms that we of this earth could understand. Um, And so this is all going to be new. Nothing like it is here, a new order, a new way of thinking. One of the things that's new is there is no sea, no water, no sea, no ocean. It's not there. Um, Why is it not there? Nobody really knows. It's just not there. Apparently it wasn't needed, uh, or it would have been. There's something better than the ocean. I can't imagine that. Uh, Because if we're not vacationing in the mountains, we are vacationing at the ocean. Uh, And so here there's going to be no sea. Now, some of the commentators, and they say this is a, again, this is us trying to understand in our own earthly thinking. Um, They look at Isaiah chapter 57, 20 and say, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. It's the idea that a lot of times when they look at the sea in scripture, it's in a very negative evil sense, that it represents that sort of a thing. Um, And even where did the Antichrist come from? He was the beast of the sea. And so there is no sea. Uh, Now, again, that's loose. That's that's not really backed by a whole lot of thought. But that seems to be the main thought that comes through uh, a lot of the commentators, a lot of the people who have who have studied and put this out. Um, So we have uh, new heaven, new earth, no sea. And then we have this new Jerusalem uh, that is coming, this holy city. Uh, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Uh, some see this as an actual city, which I think is rightly so. Uh, that is a, It kind of has a, a double meaning. It is an actual city that he saw coming down. Um, and also, I think the, the second understanding of it would be a representation of the bride. That this city is the people, all of the saints, all of the believers, because it says beautifully dressed as a bride, which the church is uh, a picture, or the, a bride is a picture of the church. And so uh, you can see that, that as John is looking, here he is looking at this holy city coming down, and, and really for the first time ever, he is seeing all believers, past, present, future, in one place all assembled. There's nowhere else any believer could be. Heaven and earth, the old earth gone away. Old heaven's gone away. New heaven's new earth. And here comes this holy city. Here comes these these residents of this holy city coming down from God. Um, Which really, if, if you think about it, emphasizes the importance of relationship for the church today. Uh, Denny said it this morning, and I know we've said it many times here, that, that the church is not a building, but it's the assembly of believers. And so here we have this holy city that, yes, while we have a church building, and yes, they had a literal city, it was actually this uh, coming together of all of the saints. Just like the church is the group of people, the city was a group of people uh, coming down from heaven. And so 
we don't want to, and we also don't want to miss the contrast uh, between Babylon that we talked about back in 13, 14, 15, back in there, um, was the earthly city, and it was represented as a prostitute. Remember, that was the picture, Babylon the Great, the great prostitute. And here we have the holy city, a heavenly city, New Jerusalem, represented as a bride. Uh, and so everything is right at this point. Everything is correct. All the relationships are brought right back into where they need to be. Uh, the groom and the bride uh, are about to go into all eternity and live happily ever after. Uh, this is really the only story you can say that to. From this point on, chapter 21 and 22 is happily ever after. Um, no other story can, end, can truly end that way. Um, so we have this new heaven, new earth, this holy city, the new Jerusalem, which would be the gathering of all of the saints, all of the believers in one place for the first time ever. John is seeing them all. And uh, then we see in verse, uh, verse 3 through 8, uh, there's another, a voice from the throne cries out. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So here we have this voice from the throne, uh, apparently because of verse uh, 5, it wasn't the one on the throne, but it was a voice coming from the throne, from that general vicinity, uh, that says, now the dwelling of God is going to be with men. Uh, I mean, right now we have God living in the hearts of believers, the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer, but at that point we won't have that. New order, new way of thinking, new way of acting. We will actually have God's presence in front of us, not inside us. Because we too will be changed. We will no longer need the Holy Spirit in us to guide and direct. We will be made perfect. No more bad thoughts. No more wrong thoughts. No more bad attitudes. No more waking up on the wrong side of the bed. You know why? We're going to find out in a little bit there's no nighttime there. There's no night. We don't sleep. There's no need for sleep. <laughs> Everyone says, well, how can it be heaven if we're not sleeping? <laughs> that's the, the most heaven-like part of my day is the nap. Uh, we won't need it. See, that's why I say everything we picture, it's better. It's better than that. It's better than that. And so here we have the, the dwelling of God is with men. We are going to be in the same place as God, face to face. Um, he will wipe away every tear, verse 4. All the effects of sin are going to be done away with. All the effects of sin are going to be done away with. 
No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. That was the old way of thing that things were done. New things. No death. No mourning. No crying. No pain. I, I always say at a funeral, whenever I do a funeral, that death is a very real part of life. It's something we all have to deal with. As we are living, we all have to deal with, with death, with the idea of death. But that was the old way. There's a new way coming where we won't have to deal with death. It has, Jesus conquered death. Jesus is victorious over death. He has promised us our hope is victory over death. That's part of the hope of the believer. And here we see that it is no more. It will be done away with. And there will be no more death. Then we have the voice of the one on the throne. He says, I will make everything new. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, who is the Alpha and the Omega? Jesus. Jesus is the Alpha. He says throughout Scripture, he's referred to as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So here he is talking uh, to us from seated on the throne. And he says, everything is going to be made new. The last, picture this, just, just kind of try to wrap your mind around this. I tried to do it this afternoon again as I was going over this, and, and I don't know that I still quite have it. The last act of God in the redemption process, it is done. From what was started in the Garden of Eden, when man sinned and God cast him out, and slayed the animals to give them a covering for their sin, to give them the, the skin of animals to, to cover their sinfulness. From that, when he started the process, all the way until Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, it is done. This is the last act of redemption he is going to make, and that is bringing down the new heaven and the new earth, bringing down the holy city, setting everything up. This is the last act of God in that redemption process. And, and the presence of which is refreshing. He said, I will give, uh, I will give to drink, uh, to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. So th there's just this refreshing throughout heaven, that there's, there's no thirst, there, there's no sleep, there's no death. And, and now anyone who, who is thirsty, come and drink. There's no need to be thirsty. There's no need to have any need. We're getting ready next Sunday. My wife and I have been telling ourselves all day today, you know where we'll be next week at this time? Riviera Maya. We will be sitting on a beach with our family, with our kids. It's the first time we've ever taken them uh, here. We've, we've gone to... Riviera Maya, if you don't know, is, is the adult version of Cancun. It, it's the quiet. There, there aren't college kids there. They haven't found it yet. They all land in Cancun and head for the bars. If you get on a, on a, on a bus and you drive about an hour south, you get to really nice, quiet, uh, family-oriented beaches. And that's where we will be next Sunday. And we are staying at a resort that is all-inclusive. You know what that means? If I'm hungry, I go get something to eat. If I am thirsty, I go get something to drink. Not only that, my wife is waiting for the little lady that comes by the pool and says, can I get you anything else? 
And she says, yes, I'd like another Diet Coke. And in about 10 minutes, the lady comes back with a Diet Coke. That's heaven. <laughs> Although heaven actually is going to be better than that. And it's all inclusive. I won't need the little lady <laughs> to come around. Whoever's thirsty, just come. Everything is here. Everything is provided. There will be no need of anything. We are. It's the only, it's the only way to get there. So here we are with this, this presence of, re, of refreshing. It's Psalm 42, one. Uh, and somehow I did not print them out for me. Uh, somebody read it nice and loud. My soul thirsts for God. And God says, here I am. I am now living in the midst of men. I am now living face to face with men. That there is, there is no need anymore. And so as our soul thirsts for God, God says, I will supply everything that you have need of. The sin issue is gone. He says there's no more. Uh, cowardly, unbelieving, vile. He lists a whole group of people there that, that aren't going to be there. They're, they're gone. Uh, they've been cast into Gehenna. They've been cast into eternal hell. And so Jesus is coming and, and saying, here it is. Everything is brand new, better than you could have ever imagined, all-inclusive. Now he goes on to describe the bride. He gives us a description of the bride. One of the angels with the seven bulls in verse, uh, verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now again, he's just catching another glimpse of this holy city. It didn't descend twice. He's just catching another glimpse of it. Um, it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gate gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. Now, the reason to understand that is that a cubit we know is 18 inches long. But how they measured a cubit was the length of a man's arm. That was a cubit. And so they're saying it was 144 cubits, even though an angel was doing it, because he wasn't using a man's arm, he was using his arm. He said, so even though an angel was doing it, it was 144 cubits, the length of a man's arm. The wall was made of jasper, 
and the city of pure gold was pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third something else, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth something else, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring, like, will bring with their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we have one of the angels, one of those seven angels that had just poured out the wrath from one of the bulls, began to explain what the bride was going to look like. And in in explaining the bride, he was explaining the city. Uh, And so again, we get this kind of double meaning of what the city was. It was the people, but it was also a place. It was also a structure, if you will. And he begins to explain what that is. Um, John gets carried away in the spirit, which signifies that he is about to see a vision. Uh, that's what that meant throughout Revelation. Whenever he was in the Spirit, he was, a vision was appearing before him. So he's getting a picture um, and taken to a mountain to overlook the whole city. Now, in the Greek, uh, this is one complete sentence. This, this explanation is one complete sentence of the bride. So we, we really want to kind of just break it down into each descriptive phrase. So verse 11 says that it's shown with the glory of God. The people of God are going to shine with the glory of God. Have you ever known any human being to do that before? Moses. Moses. You got two Moseses out of this group. When Moses was on the mountain and he received the Ten Commandments, he received the, the stone tablets, he came back and he actually had to put a veil over his face because his face shined with the glory of God to where a person couldn't look at it. It was so bright, so brilliant, okay? That's the bride. That is each one of us is going to be uh, shining with the glory of God. Isaiah says, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Well, on that day, it's going to appear through you. And the bride is going to, to shine with the glory of God. Uh, and, and really, this is just a fulfillment of God's promise that, that his glory is going to rest upon them. The same way it did, it rested upon Moses after he got the Ten Commandments and brought them down. Every one of us is going to have that type of a, a shining, if you will, coming through us. Verse 12 says that there was a great high wall with 12 gates. Now, this high wall does not suggest a need for security, all right? But it's more of just the boundary. Uh, it's really, this, this is the city of God. This is the boundary of God. Now, in most cities, when they would build them, they would build the walls first for security, for safety. Not needed here. 
but it's there as a, as a structure, as the boundary to give, to give us an, an understanding. This is what he saw. Um, and each of the, uh, with the names of the, of the 12 tribes uh, at these gates, okay? Um, and these gates are the way by which everyone is going to enter the city. This is how everyone gets in, through the gate. Um, now, for those who would know their tribe, they would probably enter through their tribe's name. Uh, Gad would enter through Gad. Uh, Joseph would enter through Joseph and that sort of thing. Um, that was kind of the understanding of, of a city. Um, and there was an angel at each gate. And they had three, three gates on each side of the city uh, on, in these high walls. Verse 14 tells us that there were 12 foundations. Okay, this is a pretty sturdy city. 12 foundational layers that the city is built upon. Uh, and each foundation carried the names of one of the 12 apostles. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Well, that makes sense when you look at the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem is going to be built on 12 foundations, each one containing a different name of an apostle. Uh, and so this city is going to be built upon the foundation of the apostles, um, quite literally. Uh, and again, this is showing with the, with the 12 tribes being the gates, with each name being over one of the gates, and, and each name of the apostle being in, within each uh, layer of foundation, um, really unifies the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, all in the same city, all coming through the gates, all living on the one foundation. And Christ is the cornerstone uh, of that. Verse 15, we see that the, the angel took a measuring rod and began measuring the city. Um, in chapter 4, if you remember, John was told to measure the temple of God. Now an angel is measuring. Uh, angel is, is measuring, and he, he says that it's square, and it's 12,000 stadia. Okay, one side. So if I go from, from this corner, and I go down the, the west side of the city, it's 12,000 stadia till I get to the other corner. Anybody got a guess on how far that is? about 1,400 miles. So it's basically, if you started in Chicago, you would get to about Miami, was the, the, the one side, and it's square. So Chicago to Miami, Miami to Chicago, Chicago to Miami, Miami to Chicago. It's, it's 1,400 square miles, all right? All the way around. 1,400 miles on each side. And it's also what? There's another dimension that he talks about here. It's 1,400 miles high. So we're really looking at the city as a cube, if you will. Uh, the, the measurement was 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles high. And, uh, and again, whether why it's high, I don't know. I don't understand it, but that's what he saw. He saw a, a cube that was the holy city um, that he measured out. And the walls in verse 17, the walls were 144 cubits 
thick, which is about 200 feet thick, or 72 yards. Is that how long it is? 72 yards? About 200, 200 feet, 72 yards. And so this massive, I mean, 1,400 miles, it's a huge city that, that John is watching come down. It says, many jewels throughout the walls and the foundation. And the first jewel that he mentions in, is, uh, in verse 18 is, is that of Jasper. And we're not going to go down each, each jewel. There, there, there's guesses as to some significance to each one. I don't care. They're going to be incredible to look at, uh, whatever the symbolism is. But Jasper, if you remember, back in chapter 4, verse 3, said that the one on the throne appears like Jasper. And this is the first layer of the foundation. Appears just like the one, just like Jesus, who was the one that appeared on the throne. Again, he's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He is center of all of this. Um, But there are many precious stones in abundance. I mean, you've got a foundation and you've got walls 1,400 miles long covered in precious stones just throughout. I mean, the brilliance of that has to be incredible, all different colors. And, and, and as the light hits them and the, and the you know, prisms coming through, it's just, it's going to be amazing uh, to look at. In verse 21, uh, we see that the gates now, he said, here's the walls of all the different precious jewels, but the gates are a single pearl. Okay, and gates in a city, usually you could get two chariots through, one coming in, one going out. One pearl. Okay, huge is what we're talking about. Precious is what we're talking about. Matthew chapter 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Uh, you know what? When we, when we see that the pearls and the gates of heaven, and that's the entrance into heaven is through pearly gate. Didn't know that was actually biblical, did you? Uh, a pearl gate, a gate of pearl. Uh, we want to sell everything we have to enter in, to get it, to be able to, to walk through uh, that gate. And of course, the streets were gold. Uh, Lined with gold. How many believers are going to be inside? Uh huh. And who's looking at this here? Well, John is, I mean, John right now is just looking at it. Who's looking at all of it? No one from the outside. Never will. No. But I think even on the inside of the walls, there's going to be all of the precious jewels and everything all throughout um, with that. So the streets are of gold. Verse 22 there is no temple. Because God and Jesus are the temple. Uh, yeah, Bill. Right, we don't need a temple to worship. They are there. We are there face to face with them. Uh, no sun, no moon, because the glory of God is going to be light. We don't need the sun and the moon anymore to light the night or to light the day and to light the night uh, because we have God and Jesus. Uh, the kings of the earth bring their glory into the city. That one stumped a lot of commentators and probably will stump us too, uh, that phrase, because there's a lot of controversy over what that means, uh, because before, as we were reading, the kings of the earth were the ones that were battling against the rider on the white horse. 
and what are they doing coming into the city. Um, probably the best would be an understanding that this is symbolic, um, not actually kings of the earth or, or the unbeliever, unbelieving kings coming in, uh, but symbolic of, of the knowledge and of the, the greatness of God. Um, because at this point, everyone's going to know who God is. Um, the atheists are going to know they're wrong. The agnostics are going to know they're wrong. Every false religion is going to know they're wrong. And so if you look at the kings of the earth are going to bring that glory, are going to have an understanding now at this point of who God is and that he is the one and only, the almighty, the one true God. Uh, and so that it's kind of symbolic of that knowledge that at that point everyone is going to understand. The gates are never shut, for there is no night. There's no need to shut the gates. Every city shut the gates at night for protection. We don't need that. Um, and then verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter in. Uh, everything will be completely protected from that. If you look at verse or at chapter 22, uh, he goes on to, and again, he's, he's continuing to describe the city, what it is that he is seeing. Um, verses 22, 1 to 6. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, all inclusive. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Still giving a description of the city itself and now he sees that there's a river that flows right through the middle from the, starting at the throne of God and, and flowing down. Uh, through the, the center of the city, through the main street. Um, there's a tree of life, and the tree of life is on each side of the river, which means what? There's only one tree. That tree is straddling the river. That is a huge tree, okay? The tree of life is straddling the river that is running down through the middle of town, through this, this main street, because it's on both sides of the river. And it also says that it's going to yield 12 crops. This, this tree is going to yield 12 crops of fruit every month. A new crop comes on. Okay? We're not going to be able to pick it and eat it fast enough. It's all inclusive. Okay? You're thirsty, grab a drink from the river, you get a little hungry, pick something off the tree of life. All right? And, and that is really... We, we will live forever by eating from the tree of life. That was the whole reason that God had to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden because they had eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they, they then, their, their minds were, or their eyes were open and in their disobedience, they had had a fallen nature. Had they eaten from the tree of life, they would have been in that fallen nature for all eternity. And God said, we got to get them out of here so that they don't eat of the tree of life because the tree of life will sustain 
forever and ever and ever. So God had to remove them from the Garden of Eden, provide them with the, the skins, provide them with a, a system to have sins forgiven so that now, when there is no sin, we can eat from the tree of life. We can drink from the river of life freely. Uh, Twelve different crops of fruit. I wonder what they will be. There's no longer a curse. Okay, the curse is done away with, so we can freely eat uh, from that. And we will then, verse 4, this, this should be your favorite verse. They will see his face. They will see his face. Can you imagine looking at the face of God? What happened to anyone who would look at the face of God or who would see the face of God up before this time? Instant death. Because the glory was too much. Even when Moses caught a, caught a glimpse of, of, of uh, in, the, in the burning bush and, and uh, caught a glimpse there, and when he's talking to God, God said, well, I'll pass, and you kind of look at, at my back. And don't, don't look at my feet. And even that, he was glowing. Because anyone who would look at his face, but we will see his face. Face to face with the creator, with the almighty, with the savior. Unbelievable. And then he repeats that there's no night, there's no need for night. God will be the light in verse 5. And then we kind of enter into this hodgepodge ending. Um, Jesus now speaks um, to John, and he says in verse 7, uh, and I'll just read through the end, of the end of the chapter, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed who he is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. And then John says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. And then Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent an angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit of the bride said, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone, and this is John speaking, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things said, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. It is a long time. 
The words of Jesus giving a blessing on those who keeps the word of this prophecy, who understands it. So it is important that we understand this. It is important that we study Revelation. These last 10 weeks have been of utmost importance for a number of reasons. One, we need to know what is going to happen that we would not be caught off guard. And we also need to, to gain a sense of urgency because Jesus says, I'm coming very soon. And there are people who do not know him. There are people that are going to be affected by the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls that are going to be on the, the outside of the holy city. We know them. We know who they are. We know people who, at this point, aren't going to be there. And while we can rejoice that, that within our relationship, that is our hope, there are people who need hope. And so he says, go and tell them. Matthew chapter 24 says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. We can see the signs building up, and we can know the seasons, but nobody knows the, the day nor the hour of when he will return. And so we have to always be ready, always be alert. That was, that's been the message all the way through Revelation. Don't get caught off guard. Look for these things. When these things start happening, know the end is near. He says there's no need to seal this book because of the shortness of time. People need to just get it open and read it. You don't need to seal it. Roll it up. Send it out. Send it to those seven churches. Don't take even the time to seal it. It needs to get out. The message needs to get out. Don't wait. Don't seal it up. Don't make it a secret. Wear it. Live it. Be it. Verse 11 Verse 11 seems to say that there is no hope for men. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Seems to say that there's no hope, that if you're vile, you're going to stay vile. But that's not true leading up to Christ's return. That there still is hope for, for, the, one who, who, uh, for the one who does wrong. We don't need to continue to do wrong. For the one who is vile doesn't need to stay vile. Now, there's going to come a day when they will. There's going to come a day when there is no more opportunity, when there is no more chance to turn, no more chance for forgiveness, that there is a day out there when the vile will stay vile and the ones who are doing wrong will continue to do wrong. We, we've looked at those days. I mean, when those seven bowls start to get poured, there's not too many people turning. They've kind of confirmed themselves. They've dug their heels in. But that day's not here. And people need to hear. People need to turn. People need to understand that there is hope. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Those who wash their robes, those who remain faithful through it all. Because you're going to have the right to enter through those pearl gates. 
that gate of pearl you're going to be able to enter through. If we remain faithful, if we remain steadfast, and we haven't even gotten to the bad stuff yet, as bad as we think it is, we've studied it's going to get worse. And we need to remain faithful. So we need to pull together as the church. We need to have a unity like we've never been unified before. We need to work together. I'm a firm believer that denominational lines are going to be torn down. Because we don't read of denomination in the beginning. I don't think we're going to hear of denomination in the end. There's one church. And, and, and all of the believers are going to need to come together. We're going to need to work together. It happens on the mission field. Missionaries aren't really, well, I'm Alliance, I can't work with the Baptist. Well, I'm Baptist, I can't work with the... No. They have to work with one another to get the job done. There will be one language. There's going to be one faith, one, one body of believers. And so we have to, I think, start now. We have to begin tearing down those walls between believers and work together for this day. For when it comes. Verse 15 describes the outside the, the walls of the city. Not that there's going to be those right outside gnashing at the gate, but signifies that this, this type will never be in the city. That they're, they're always going to be on the outside of the city. And don't picture it as they're right there at the walls where you can see them when you walk past the gate. No, it's just they will never be in. That type of person will never be in the city so hell is eternal heaven is eternal that from this time on the timeline following the great white throne judgment actually probably even a little before that people aren't changing their mind that when they're cast into hell they're there forever when you walk through the gate the pearl gate you're there forever No mourning, no crying, no pain. We won't remember what happened before we get there. I think we will recognize people that are there, but he was saying, are we going to miss people? Are we going to notice people who aren't there? I don't think so. Because there's no mourning, there's no crying, there's no pain, and there's no remembering everything before, then we'll recognize the people that are there, but we won't miss the ones who aren't. Um, and that's key to remember, too, uh, that because there is no pain, is no sorrow in there. Um, verse 16, Jesus gives his authority to the words of the angel. He says, I sent him. Everything he said is true. Everything in this book, in this letter, uh, is true. And you can believe it on the authority of Christ. Um, verse 17, and this is key for us. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. That should be our message. Come. Come. As, as one beggar who f- learned where the food was, bring another beggar with you. Look, come and see what I found. Unbelievable joy. Truth. I found truth. I found the answer to a lot of questions in my life. I found peace that passes all understanding. The world doesn't offer that. The world can't offer that. It doesn't have it to offer. 
Jesus does. And so the bride says, we say, come. That's our message now before the end comes. The bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. We need to take that, that message. Verses 18, 19, severe warning not to add or take away from the words of this book. Uh, that person is going to lose the right to be there if you distort any of this message. Now, we have a lot of times taken those verses, 18 and 19, and applied them to all of Scripture. Not a bad thing, it's just not completely right. We don't want to add to Genesis, we don't want to take away from Genesis, but that warning actually only works for the book of Revelation, actually only applies to the book of Revelation. Um, now, in principle, yeah, we, we can't fiddle around with, with Scripture and believe only what we want to believe, or then you might as well throw it all out. Okay? So there is a, a severe warning um, not to distort this message. Uh, <clears throat> and then John gives a final word that Jesus is coming soon and a prayer for it to happen. This should be our prayer as we diligently carry out his will until that day comes. Amen? Amen. Bill. Should be 22. I'm not real good with numbers. Yeah. Actually, I think we will be that city coming out of heaven. Yeah, that, that's the, it, it, it's that double representation of an actual city and all of the believers coming out of heaven. So when we are ushered into that new heaven and new earth and we enter into the gates, we will become that city. No, no, everyone's name who is written in the book of life will enter the city. Those not written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire, Gehenna or hell. Gehenna is the Greek word for that place. We translated hell, but we translate a lot of words hell. Anything else? Yes, yeah, there were some that would say it was pyramid with the throne at the top, and then the river coming down through the, the middle of the city. Um, yeah, so whether a cube or pyramid, that's how high and why it's a huge city. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the, he, he has put it in the, in the dimensions apparently as, as needed. 
Um, yeah, even though he is limitless. I think it's a different, it would be a different river at that point. Um, yeah, because the river of life would only be in the new, in the new city, in the new Jerusalem. I hope, I hope there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, to, to think of all the, the believers from Adam to future until this day comes all those believers fitting into this city i mean yeah it's got to be it's got to be big a lot of people well yes one more right yeah a great multitude that we can't number is what will be there from all nations tribes peoples languages will be there well there you have it revelation in 10 quick weeks um, 22 chapters in 10 weeks. One more in the back. Ah, you guys are welcome. You don't have to thank me. I've, I thank you for putting up with me every Sunday night. So, um, don't know where we're going next, uh, so you can be praying about that. We've covered a lot of ground over the last seven or eight years doing it this way, and, uh, but there's still more ground to cover, so we'll, uh, we'll see. Just you be praying that I hear where we need to go next, and, uh, and we will go there. Let me pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, again, we are thankful that you are a God uh, who is the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. Father, I pray that you would give us courage now to go out and live as your bride, that we would have, go with that message of come, uh, that we would go and call others to your salvation, that we would call others to, to be a part of the bride, Lord, that we would give them hope, that we would live such good lives, that they would see our deeds and want to praise you. Father, change us, continually change us to be the type of people we need to be, that we would transform our families, that we would transform this church, that we would transform this community for your sake, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.